Hey, welcome to our show. This is I'm All Over This. I'm Taylor Ochsner. I'm George Goldwitzer. And we are here with... Amber Burks, and we're talking about women within the arts community. Look at this. She's, she's awesome. the best guest already. So right. good. Introducing it for us. So we had you on here because we feel like this is something that's really important to bring up. Um, and I'm really big into art, uh, just as a medium, painting. I like uh, to look at it. Mixed medium, yeah. Uh, like to go to museums, stuff like that. Um, and you're a teacher, like my wife, but you teach art. Um, and so it was something that I felt like we could bond on really well. We could talk and, uh, it would be a really interesting topic. So, um, getting into that, talk about yourself, what you do, um, how you got into it and, uh, we'll go from there. Well, I've always practiced art on my own time, but the way I actually got into an arts related field, I was really into sociology I mean, I like art aesthetically, but looking at why people do what they do and what drives them kind of motivated me to look more into that. I started physics engineering, and the arts for me combined engineering, combined sociology, and I just kind of fell into education. Um, but now, like, now that I'm doing that, I find it harder to make my own body of work, and I'm sort of noticing this transition from painting and and first person media towards graphic design and so it's kind of getting harder and harder to find my niche within the arts community as opposed to where it used to be um but i see like you've been painting a lot and that's inspiring me to keep with it mm -hmm. um but i am seeing this transition from uh i don't want to say artist first because it's still a respectable art but this transition to graphic design and media arts that i'm just not a huge fan of I guess. no yeah i um i actually took a bunch of graphic uh arts when i did a semester in college um and i just felt it really took like, the heart out of it yeah it was just really like cold and i think to a certain degree for some artists that is the case i don't feel like it's that way for all of them i feel like there's some people who actually use it as a tool like i use a brush um but for me it's just really disconnected because it's not my it's not it's like the magic that's in you that you can put on a canvas because that's what it is. It's just like somebody who makes music. There's like a weird, like alchemy magic that's coming out. That's how you can connect with people. There's energy there. So when you're looking at like a canvas or something, there's energy coming from that person to that canvas from that canvas to you. And that's what brings out the emotion that you get or the reaction that you get. It's it's, there's no better way to describe it except for just, transference of energy things like that you lose that ideas. with a computer screen yeah and for yeah. me i lose that with a computer screen because i'm going but for some people i think that's that's not the case for some people that is their brush that is their canvas you know yeah i like I microsoft agree. paint yeah i like microsoft paint yeah. <laughs> well even when you look at like jackson pollock and you know these high energy abstract painters where they actually have like cigarette ash and tears and sweat yeah embedded within the canvas like for me that's just a very authentic pure raw and it, again it's just like purely opinion based but i like i like that art but now like if you look at the transition from even um juxtaposed art magazine like where they were in the 90s where everything was um contemporary art still but like graffiti and street mm -hmm. art based now even them like everything is digital and prints and I think that's awesome, but again, I'm just, I guess I'm not familiar with it. I'm not, I haven't practiced it. I have used Photoshop. That's about the extent of it. 
But yeah, I'm 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 a mixed media guy. I use a lot of like ink pen and then paper mm-hmm. and watercolor and acrylic, and I just kind of throw everything that I know into one canvas instead of using like you have a lot of artists who are like I do acrylic or yeah. I do watercolor, and I'm one of the few I, or not few, I guess a lot of people do, but I'm one of those people who like uses everything that I know into one painting um, or one piece, you know. Yeah. Well, why we had Jan is we feel like in a lot of communities, especially in like um, where it comes to pop art or even like comic books, there are a lot of women who don't get the right amount of uh, appreciation. Um, do you find that happening a lot or do you think it's getting better or, um, you know, elaborate on that? I think up until about the 19th century, um, women were hugely, hugely misrepresented or underrepresented. Um, like women used to practice in artist guilds, like as uh, fabric works, or they would work under their husbands, aristocratic women mostly. And then it wasn't until the 19th century that they actually started getting some um, representation. Well, I, I can't even think Mary of a Cassatt, single Frida Kahlo, um, female artist. I can't think of one. Yeah, like most of them are extremely underrepresented. Uh, a lot of them were married to male artists who, you know, kind of took the spotlight. I think for centuries we've been muses, like we're pictured in paintings all the time. It, we've, you know, inspired artists. But as actual practitioners of art, um, it's far and few between. And in the 19th century, the first people that came to some sort of reverence. I, I guess you would say Mary Cassatt was one of the first in Europe that was world renowned. And, you know, she was painting still lives. She was painting portraits of other women. She just wasn't necessarily making anything that represented her voice or an opinion because, you know, even then that wasn't something of value. I'd say Frida Kahlo was the first that I'm aware of. That, um, female artists that came out and had like an opinion and was yeah, saying something. I can agree with that. I feel like that name alone like was a big blip in like um, art history mm-hmm. in a lot of art history classes when I feel like if you would have and it's like one of the few, right? Like yeah. So like you're looking, you go to your art history classes, you have like Pollock, Picasso you know, and she's like one of the only females who you really see huge, huge representation. Exactly. And it's not that there weren't female, like, especially during the Renaissance era, you know, there were tons of female artists, but even now in like our society where supposedly, you know, we're all equal now, we're still underrepresented. Mm-hmm. When you look at the textbooks, you know, we have contemporary artists like um, Elizabeth Murray, who is phenomenal just absolutely amazing. And she inspired a lot of street art. She came around around the same time as um, Frank Stella, but you know, Frank Stella who actually mimicked some of her work Mm -hmm. was the one that you're going to hear more about in history books, unless you do some digging on your own. And I think that, I don't know. I, I referenced juxtapose magazine earlier, but even, you know, that magazine that's been around since, probably 84, 85 is predominantly all male artists. So I don't know if if that stems from like a lack of interest of women in the field or if that's still just a continuation of something that's been. What's crazy too is that the arts are normally considered a more feminine field to go into compared to 
the um, hard sciences, the the engineering, the math. Not that it's right, but mm-hmm. the arts are considered a more feminine field, and it's crazy that there's not that it is that underrepresented represented well what's interesting is i often hear people say like left brain people are more creative more artsy more this more that but actually when you're practicing the arts that's predominantly right brain oriented because you're using um this sort of observational skill and synthesize analyzing and synthesizing it's actually more much more right brain dominant and so that's kind of a misconception you don't necessarily i guess you can employ both but yeah, the actual creation process is something it's that's right, right brain. Yeah, when left brain's more of the uh, conception of the idea, it's a bit more left brain side because mm-hmm. that's where the creative juices like come out of. And then once putting it into practice is the right brain side. So, like, is it is it more <laughs> feminine to be thoughtful and conceptual? Uh, like, I, I I've always thought that was such a weird association, but I know what you're talking yeah, about. It's that, just, that, that yeah, that is. It's just it is. You you look at the the, the STEM fields, mm-hmm. and it's that's the the male field. Yeah. And then you look at the uh, the the arts and the the teaching the the, the softer degrees, if you will, mm-hmm. and that's definitely more feminine based. But you know, that's the the perception of it. But yet in practice, it doesn't seem to be true as far as what's in the forefront. Well, I think what's really interesting, a lot of, um, I work for Chicago Public Schools, and a lot of the things we're pushing now, we have this program called STEAM. It's science, technology, English, language arts, the the arts, like the visual arts, and math all combined. And I think that the arts field in general is extremely, extremely fluid. Like, you can be an engineer and be a practicing artist. You can be... Well, I see some engineer sculptures that yeah. are just awesome. They're very more... They're, it's obvious it's a lot more calculated, mm-hmm. but they're awesome, awesome stuff. Yeah, and then you could have artists that are purely aesthetic-based that are like, this looks cool, so I'm going to make it. And then <laughs> others that are like, I have a message I want to get out there. So I think in a field that's so diverse, it's really it really is bizarre that we have such a limited representation to you know male artists, <laughs> I, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um- What's great, I feel like lately, and it's a big deal because I mean, you guys know I'm really into comics. George is really into comics. Who me? Um, Marvel and DC, both as these bigger companies, are just now giving precedence to female artists. A lot big time in the last yeah, five, yeah, ten like, years yeah, or so. Five years. Uh, I mean, the last even, fifteen, but the last five, especially since the huge, new Fifty Two. Yeah. Um, so yeah, twenty ten. And then in Marvel, with Marvel now, they put like huge like female you know i remember putting them on fees and female driven books too which is too like so female driven books are like some of like the biggest selling books like the miss marvel Marvel, wonder woman yeah um thor is a girl now spider gwen's really good and they have these powerful female characters that are like in front of everything like the captain marvel book um is wonderful and it's her and she's she's a female and she's, she's not super butch and she's not like, you know what I mean? And she's ethnic yeah. and yeah. like, it's everything perfect for a yeah. strong and female it's, and lead. It's great. And yeah. it's a female artist on it. Right. And writer. Yeah. Um, it, it's gorgeous. It's just beautiful. The colors that come out of it, the, 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 um, well, it's comic line books. work. It's just unreal. Comic books are a medium in general that have always been male driven and, um, negatively. So, very objectifying of women throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, look at 
Rob Liefeld. Yeah. Which the only thing he can draw on a woman are her sexual parts. Yeah. yeah. That's it. And or <laughs> even like if you want to go to like um, the women in a refrigerator um, or women in a freezer. Thing. It's a refrigerator. It's, it, but it, it's but a trope it's that a, the only way you can, if you, a character gets stagnant, you kill his, his girlfriend. Oh, it started with uh, <laughs> Kyle Rayner, Green Lantern. They, they, he found his girlfriend stuffed in a refrigerator. And that's why it's called that. The women in a refrigerator trope. Uh-huh. But that's the only way they had to drive characters for a while. It wasn't it's, necessarily girlfriend, but like it was some normally a female character yeah. in the hero's life. Something would have to happen to her yeah. to push that character forward. It's and it's like of, the idea it, of the female paint playing the role of the inspiration or yep. the muse rather than being an actual yeah. lead yep. lead character. And they've been there's been a big push to get away from those tropes, those yeah, like objectifying how, how bad stuff happens. But, yeah, Batgirl used to wear heels. Yeah, um, you know when she's fighting now she wears yellow like combat boots and it's like Wonder, little, they gave Wonder Woman pants yeah, a yeah. couple years back it's little things like that make those characters more powerful as you know and those are little bitty details but those little bitty details help so much you just wouldn't believe it because you're going from something that that's not realistic at all that's mm-hmm. not what a woman would do if she was doing that you're you know the difference between a heel and a boot is so sexual oh most Can, definitely you know what I mean and I think, too, I notice this in a lot of, well, even teaching. I work with some really young kids, and I've noticed this sort of uh, transition from how I was as a child, a young girl, to how my girls are. And you have to be mindful, too, that not only is there a generational difference between me and these students, but also a cultural difference. I mostly work in a predominantly African-American neighborhood, well, like 100% African-American, and my young girls are taught right away be loud, be vocal, be independent, be strong. And I think when, you know, I was raised in Bourbonnet, predominantly Caucasian um, neighborhood circa, you know, 20 years ago. And I was always taught to sort of be quiet, be polite, um, be respectful. And I don't know if that was necessarily a female male thing or if that was um, something that was like culturally ingrained but I look at these girls and I look how strong they are and how insightful they are and how they're so eager to speak up and share um even even when they're in trouble they're like well Miss Burks I need to I need to tell you my opinion and I need to make that known you know there's there's nothing shy about these girls and they're actually going places I have one former student that um is doing a senior high school program as a freshman in the arts and she's just loud and vocal and insightful. And it's, it's but, yeah, I feel like right now it's more important than ever to have these strong female art role models, whether mm-hmm. it's a singer or a, anything in the arts, not just, you know, traditional art, but it's, I think right now because of the way our culture and society is, it's very important to have these female role models in those places mm-hmm. for these girls and boys. Oh, and it's definitely. not just for the girls. It's these young boys need to see these strong female role models too. Mm-hmm. They got they want to grow up with that Lady Gaga on the <laughs> forefront, being yeah. strong and herself and but loud and open. And, yeah, and it's like this is too is you need to change. What needs to change is like how the difference between you find uh, women attractive who are, you know, if you change the way. Uh, the set society views yes, attractiveness yeah from the sexual from, to the intellectual to the intellectual and independent yeah. woman so you, you you know you're you want to be with a stronger woman um than a 
you know, I'm in the background and I, you know what I mean? Most definitely. It's, um, you need to be independent together. And I think just by changing things in the arts alone can make that all the difference. Oh, hugely. Because when you think of your most profound influences as a child, because, you know, what they say ages zero to five is when you form, like, the majority of your neural pathways and you're influenced by everything around you. And everything is just saturated with, with public arts. Like, you think of commercials, you think of songs, you think of billboards. Well, what are our memories so, from kid when we were a kid? It's the cartoons we watched, it's the music we listened to, it's the books we read exactly. and the pictures we saw. And whether you're aware of it or not, you internalize all these things and you form these opinions. And like my idea of a successful woman when I was a child, sure, she could be smart, she could be strong, but she also had to be pretty. And what's pretty? You know, pretty is thin, pretty is well-kept. And I, I think we still kind of perpetuate those stereotypes. When you look at like self-improvement books or uh, you see those infomercials for be a better you, it right away references body because we're so we're such visual creatures. We, if we're successful, it's something we need to be able to observe, and I think that um, that is hugely dominant in our culture. And to kind of transition from that and say, "Oh well, success doesn't always look like this," I, I think that's huge. Oh yeah, for sure. So the next thing I want to touch on is. What are some of your favorite artists and what... <laughs> that was um, my next question. What are... Um, I was going to ask favorite art style, favorite artist, and favorite piece. Yeah, oh, I guess. We can, I'm just going to knock them all out in one. <laughs> we can uh, we can go on that. Um, we'll kind of do a roundtable and maybe we can talk about like a couple of them. I, um, I know that I, myself, am a big Keith Haring fan. Um, I know you I are, too. I adore Keith Haring. And like for a while, I didn't... like. I was younger, I didn't get it. I just um, didn't, I saw it and I was like, oh yeah, that's stuff that's like, um, and it always kind of reminds me of like um, uh, Tex, Texas, Arizona, like New Mexico, kind of like. Um, Those sort of hieroglyphics. Yeah, sort of like, uh, yeah, stuff like that. And now, and like cactuses and stuff mm-hmm. like that, like I was always kind of like, oh, that's that, that's, that's what that is. And then like knowing more about it and seeing more of it, I'm just like, oh no, it's not. There's so much movement and oh, life yeah. to it. It's, it's nuts. And then even when you look at his intention, he actually, all those symbols he makes, he had his own sort of, I don't want to say alphabet, but his own sort of language. And like the the dog that they're all supporting half the time is supposed to represent some sort of deity or some sort of uh, idol. He, he talked a lot about idolship in his works. And even though he did so much stuff for kids, and everything, you know, a lot of his bigger works are really sweet and happy and like, yay, community. Mm-hmm. A lot of his stuff, like if you look at the subway doodles, his chalk subway doodles, he's like, hey, man, so- society is rough and we need to recognize that we idolize these things and money's not important and we need to stop being sheep. And he said it in a language all his own. You oh, know? Yeah, for sure. And I think that's really cool. Um, yeah, I'm a big Keith Haring fan. What about you, George? I've got a few, but mine are all over the place because I'm not nearly as into the the arts the way you guys are. So mine normally come from outside influences. Like two of my biggest ones are Alex Ross, who's a comic book artist, but he paints everything. It's beautiful. Every panel he does is hand painted. Actually, let's pause and actually show them that. We actually just paused for a second and gave Amber a copy of Kingdom Come by Alex Ross so she could see it. Um, he does a lot of covers. He doesn't do a lot of actual books, oh, but 
everything he does is hand painted, big splash pages. Very, um, he's influenced big time by the old seventies cartoon, the sixties and seventies cartoon, the Super Friends. So he takes a modern look on a character, or a modern costume, or and this takes place in a dystopian future. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that you have, yeah. But he makes them look like this old school nineteen sixties style hero. He takes that that pop Silver Age idea and turns them into paintings. Um. It's just absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I like. There's not a single book he's done the art on I haven't loved because he did that Marvels and he did the covers for Earth X. Uh huh. He also right now is doing all the covers for Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, uh, which is nuts because it's like to do a cover. Yeah, look at that Superman. I saw you. And actually, one of my favorite images ever. Not to skip you ahead, but his use of light is pretty cool. You turn over the table? Nope. That page. Oh, that's crazy. Yep. See, I Superman didn't... right there. The only color in there. Post <clears throat> post bomb. I know this is kind of a cliche topic, but the idea of like the hierarchy of art, you know, high versus low mediums. Oh, I think yeah. comic books, man, these guys are so underappreciated. Each one of these, if, they, if I could see these in panel form. Like, oh, like, and his those pages from those books, his original art, either the sketches or the painted ones, go for a lot of money. And he's like, he lives in Illinois too. He's from Chicago. Yeah. yeah. Oh no way. Yep. He has these huge elaborate costume parties. And <laughs> so like, we no. should try to get in that. Yeah, yeah, he actually references um, <laughs> a lot of people. He'll put in costumes yeah. so we can reference them while he's painting. Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. And it's mm-hmm. like in the back of the book here. I'm pretty sure if you last couple pages. It shows some of the pictures up next to, like, that's his dad. That's a photo of his dad. That's who the main character is. That shows. No, it's not in this book. That's cool that they take the time to to show, like, his preliminary sketches oh, yeah. and the oh, whole yeah. process. I have. I have. Do you see those hardcovers he's the got absolutes. down there? The absolutes. I have a version of that book like, in your hand. And that's like that. Form. And it has about 50 pages of that bonus stuff in there. That's... So he's my, like, all-time favorite artist. Um, I also really like H.R. Geiger. Uh, the guy whose paintings, and he uh, also designed the Xenomorphs from the Alien universe. He also designed the lead singer of Korn's mic stand. Oh, crazy. I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah, he was commissioned by Jonathan um, Davis, Davis yeah. um, to make a mic stand. The mic stand is horrendous. It's like, like terrifying. It's like gothic science fiction. Uh, well, that's the only way to describe and it. It's a lot of, but the shame is, is a lot of like rape culture is involved in his paintings. Well, oh, just, you know, I mean, considering that aliens about rape. Yeah. Like that, the, that's what that movie's about. Yeah. It's a, I guess I've never thought of it. <clears throat> oh, yeah, you know, a, it's a an being for it. gets oh, in your face and impregnates you yeah. and it bursts out of you. Like, well, it's crazy. It's like until somebody tells you that's just one. And somebody up. tells you it, um, you don't know. It's like one of those kind of things. It's like, yeah. And then you see it and you're like, that's why it's so one of those movies that was always so terrifying and uncomfortable. Yeah. Is because it's uncomfortable is because it's it, it's what it is. Everything. Yeah. The, the whole xenomorph is actually, if you look at it, it's phallic. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's well, pretty much I think a, that's actually good, though, because, like, mouth. the arts, and like, even in comedy, like, it, it creates kind of a safe ground for people to be uncomfortable and to make others uncomfortable, and it kind of pushes boundaries, mm-hmm. and I think that's important because everybody needs a safe space to sort oh, for of sure. even, address those things. Even in Monty Python, they had those sections where it was just art. 
Yeah, well, the, uh, uh, Terry Gilliam did all the yeah. animations, and those animations are like uncomfortable at parts. Yeah. And funny, but uncomfortable. My, my third one, just this is a more like um, a name that you probably heard of, is Jack Vent- Ventriano. He did the singing butler, which was a very famous painting, this one. Oh, and yep. it's not he. He's got a lot of mainstream stuff like that, but he gets very much into the dark side mm-hmm. of that um, era. There's a couple here, like that. I love and that. and like a lot of like like you go through his books and you see all these like couples underneath an umbrella dancing and and these cafe scenes and then the next page is a bedroom post bedroom scene and it's he's got a lot of like noir feeling oh, paintings definitely. um i it's it's hard to explain why i like it i think it's partially because it makes me so uncomfortable when you go from so something that looks so happy and then the real life behind the scenes where it starts i mean here's another one and th- there's no explanation for what the paintings are it's a woman and a man arguing with another woman sitting on a bed with her back to it in some sort of lingerie. And it's, I, I like him as an artist because most people only know his popular paintings, the comfortable ones. But when you dig into his stuff, you get all those uncomfortable ones. That's exactly. That's why I like him because I, I, my ex-wife was really into that singing Butler painting. She loved it. We had it on our wall. I'm pretty sure a print of it. And I bought her a book of all of his paintings because she loved it and i i ended up falling in love with the book and she was really uncomfortable with it because of some of the paintings in it and it's just since then i just i love him well i think it's really cool when artists like that can capture sort of uh those uncomfortable moments in a way that's like really candid and somehow you relate to it because you're like oh i've i've also been in this uncomfortable you know situation and and i'm i'm it's being addressed visually and yet it's almost creating a narrative in your well, head and that's where you're why like, I'm what happened? I think here? I like him more than other artists is because it's his body of work is almost reads like a comic book. Even if there's not a, an exact narrative to it going mm-hmm. through his, his paintings, you feel a story. It's you can look at one and enjoy it. But once you start going through them, it feels like you're almost reading a comic book without dialogue. And I think that's why I kind of fell in love with him. <laughs> I mean, I could, I could also name a million other comic book artists I like, but you know, it's not who did those animal man books. Um, and he was on green arrow for a while. Yeah. You know what? I don't know off the top of my head, yeah, but I'm, I've been getting, um, I've been really getting into this guy named Jim Mahood and, um, he does stuff like, which makes sense if you look at my stuff, but he does stuff like that. Oh, that's a cool perspective. Um, just like really different uh, mixed media stuff. And some cool line work too. I yeah. like that sort of continuous line. Oh, for sure. So uh, speaking of Instagram, how do you think Instagram has helped the art community as a whole? Hugely. And it's here's the thing. You don't have to be popular to get a lot of people to view your stuff. I am noticing with the hashtags. Um, my art page is actually public. And so... A lot of people that I don't even know, if I put hashtag acrylic painting, I'll get like 40 people that are like, hey, I like this. Good job. And I, I, I even get that if I put a doodle up and put hashtag right? doodle. <laughs> and, and I think it's really cool, too, because it's I think most people that practice any form of art can agree that people are like sponges. You can only put out 
what you take in, you know, you can easily dry out. And I think it's important to be exposed to not just, you know, what's popular today, but like what everybody's doing. And that's such a quick, easy way to see like, Hey, what's this person doing? What's this person doing? And it's, Mm -hmm. it's easy exposure, you know, for an artist to show and for an artist to like see and learn and observe. Oh yeah, for sure. I like, I love Instagram for that. I've like found so many things that I've like enjoyed from the app itself um, through other people who they like and, you know, um, just different artists that I've like really gotten into. Um, what are some other things that you really into right now? Or, uh... Well, I'm noticing this really weird transition that I, I've always been an artist that has wanted to share a message or evoke an emotion in my paintings. And sometimes that's one that's really challenging. Other times it, it's very therapeutic mm-hmm. and I'm starting to move toward more formal and aesthetic stuff where it's more about process for me. Um, I was talking about Frank Stella and Elizabeth Murray before, mm-hmm. like these fun sort of street art forms where I'm thinking more of how will this color relate to this color versus how am I going to get this message across? Or before I've always been very conceptually driven. Um, one of my favorite contemporary artists, and she's not very big, she visited my college and I kind of followed her, was uh, Shanique Smith. She's a 3D artist that she'll travel from region to region, visit like thrift stores and like little shops within that area and build based on her experience in that place, a sculpture representing her time there or the people she met there. And I just think it's really cool. You know, we don't usually think about um, the materials we're using as being part of uh, the significance of a work. Like I don't sit and think, well, I bought this paint at, you know, this store and it's going to influence this painting this way. And so it's cool. It's, it's really organic and very humanist. And I also like, um, this is really, really generic, but, um, Renee Magree, like you were talking about like the dark side of artists and knowing his backstory, his mother actually committed suicide when he was 10 and he found her with like a, a, her dress draped around her head. She had drowned in the river or well, leapt from a bridge and drowned in the river. And so when you look at a lot of his works, the faces are covered with an apple or um, the two, the couple kissing and both is of their that faces the, are covered. Is that the Vonnegut painting with the apple, the guy in the suit with the apple over his face? Um, or is that more? That's Renee Magritte. Yeah. yeah that's, okay. that's one of his more famous I know that as kind of in conjunction with Kurt Vonnegut for some reason. I don't know why I know that, but I put those two together. I mean, he's referenced a lot in Pope. Uh, pop culture there's this band oh what were oh, they i know i know why um my brother was in one of the plays of the high school years ago and they did two vonnegut short plays uh-huh. and they had a reference to it in the play that's why i remember that speaking that's like, sorry i there was a connection there and i couldn't remember it no that's <laughs> awesome like speaking of like authors with connections to art have you ever seen any of hunter s thompson's yeah. drawings oh my gosh i i love him like i actually i was going to talk to you about that earlier taylor Super Mario was Hunter S. Thompson on the back oh, of the laptop. Okay. <laughs> I was making fun of Taylor for it yesterday. No, I'm a huge fan. I'm like, the stuff that you've been doing lately, like your line work, your colors, that's very like Thompson-esque, like a lot of emotion in that. And I think it's pretty cool. I can see that. I like, yeah. my stuff is, I feel like, is just like, it's nostalgia based with like 
going through my brain as a filter uh-huh. and then coming out the other side, I feel like it's like, like that one painting I have of like Scooby-Doo, like ghost from the first Scooby-Doo episode. It's like, it's the ghost from Scooby-Doo, but then it's also shoved through my head and then came out the other side and that's what it is. Yeah. And that's kind of what I feel about my stuff right now, but yeah. See, I think it's interesting. Like most artists that I talk to and most shows that I go to, they all operate under a theme or a specific style where you can look at an artist and be like, oh, that's so-and-so's. That's very symbolic of his work. Everybody has their like footprint or, yeah. Most definitely. But I get so sick when my paintings start looking similar. I I I need to like do something new. Like this sort of, this newer body that I've been working on, this more like automatic um, more process based where I'm not necessarily planning it out. I'm just, I make a mark and I build from it. I'm really enjoying it where normally I'm like, Oh, this isn't important. It's not saying anything. Yeah. So I, I, I can't think about it too much because then I'm going to be critical of it. Oh, yeah. But I like I'm... the way it's turning out <laughs> and it's fun and it's, it's, uh, it's, it, what, what's the, yeah. uh, the saying an artist is never happy with their painting. There's no, always something yeah, more no. you could do to change it or make it better in your head. It's like a writer. Writer's never satisfied with his with his novel. What's funny is like my paintings. I don't give myself more than two hours on any painting because if I do, then I just I I hate it after yeah. the two hour mark. It's almost exact two hour mark too. It's after that I just I'm fiddling and and uh, adding stuff I feel like I shouldn't, and then later I feel like I've messed up the whole thing. Yeah. Um, because I'd started thinking about it. Exactly. Like when I have to stop and think, what's the purpose of this? What's the intention of this? What am I giving to the viewer? I can't think of all my art that way. And I think it's important that we don't, um, you know, because art is something that is purely supposed to be reflective of you and and to sit and analyze it and and, and criticize it and try to redo it. It it makes it less authentic. Yeah, for sure. Uh, We actually had Matt here yesterday recording, uh, Matt Forkenbrock was here recording yesterday. Um, we were talking about tattooing and he's like, yeah, it's you know, one of the big differences is it's like he has, it's like, I'm doing little commissioned pieces every day, but I put my little spin on all of them. Yeah. And um, you get to watch art happen live. Yeah. And he goes, and that's like another thing is like, you were taking it like this or here. It's like, it was my idea, but he was the one who had to put my idea out and then give it give it life and but you know it's one of those things is where um it's a completely different process than what we do yeah because it's i have a customer there's a customer service element to what he does so he's like sometimes i get burnout because i feel like i'm doing stuff that people want all the time i'm not doing what i want um but then every once in a while somebody will put out you know we'll be like hey just kind of do what you want to do like he was talking about like this thing this is a mat it's original one that he did and it's like i love it but it's like one of those things it's like i don't he said i don't get to do that a lot you know what i mean that's how teaching is like i feel like i think i i I bet english teachers yeah they say it's one of the worst things for a writer is to be an english teacher yeah no i mean don't get me wrong i love my job and i love you know teaching the kids the foundations i never teach them what to think i teach them how you know, the process and I give them the tools. And so anything I make, it's usually for uh, a sample for like a class. And I'm kind of starting to, I I need to set aside time because I, within recent years, especially I'm starting to feel that burnout in that transition of like, remember when you used to be real, (laughs) (laughs) you used to do real art. 
Um, yeah, it's like Mimba original paintings. Yeah, but yeah. you know, every you now and then, I think anybody with a creative process gets this, where you just, there's a night where you're like, I'm just not going to sleep tonight. Tonight's going to be a me night, and you have that sort of spur of energy, and you're real impulsive, and you just drown yourself in, in the creative process. Oh, yeah, you for know? sure. It took me two weeks to even get the nerve to start getting a canvas again, because we had talked about it, because... I got to a certain part where I felt like I was just putting out the same thing over and over and over and over again. And so yeah. I quit. I was just like, I'm done. I can't do anything. And I would doodle here and there, but it was like a good, like four year period where I just didn't. Put it was out. most of the time that we were, we've been friends. Yeah. yeah I, I just, don't I, think you painted I, once. Um, recently. I just couldn't myself wasn't happy with anything that I could process out. Yeah. So I have four lost years when if I would have just kept going, eventually it would, I would have, it would have fixed itself, but, um, and I probably could have put out some stuff I really liked, but I just didn't. But that's the problem is that the motivation yeah. is the hardest part. It's going, getting on. We were talking about this earlier. The hardest part is just getting out your mediums, getting out everything you need and Most then definitely. just go. But I've gotten now, um, it just, I, I'm on, now I'm on like a roll where I just like, I got to produce stuff. I got to produce stuff. And it just keeps going and going and going with the show and then painting, exactly. and, you know, and then oh, trust me, it's annoying. Yeah. Every, <laughs> every once in a while you just hit a, um, the best way to describe it is like, you know, in Mario Kart, when you hit the little arrow thing and your cart just <laughs> yeah. like goes really fast. It's like that. It's, it's called just, a boost. Yeah. A boost. <laughs> well, you do you know? think that was motivated? We were talking about this too, just by like exposure. I mean, you semi recently moved out here You've been listening to all these podcasts. You've been around all these creative minds. I think, you know, you're like I was talking about earlier. We're sponges. The more exposure you get, it's like fuel, and it just yeah, kind of lights sure. you. You know, you're like, man, I can do this. I got stuff to say. Oh, well, yeah. that's that's um, Stephen King says that about writing. Yeah, it's like the only way you'll be a good writer is if you're always reading. Yeah, you need to. You cannot be a writer if you're not always reading, because you have to be absorbing from other people to be able to put out your own. Yeah. You, you won't keep the drive. You won't keep the skill. You won't keep the the creativity or even the desire to do it if you're not absorbing it from somebody else. Or not even just in the same field. But like for right. me, if I, you know, living in Chicago and working this, you know, nine to five or like five to five job, it can get really mundane and it can get really dark sometimes. And so even just like driving to the woods or like listening to an awesome song and like you know, doing something spontaneous, something to break that redundancy can inspire me to do something, you know? Um, and, and then at the same time too, some really awesome works come out of like some really negative experiences, but anything that breaks or shakes this sort of systemic way of living can inspire or, you know, motivate you. And sometimes it's gotta be like self-induced if right. you're, if you're in a dry spell. Oh, for sure. Cool. I think that's like a really good stopping point. I just want, I got one more thing to ask any person young or old that has always felt a drive towards the arts, but not really put themselves out there or started it. What advice would you have for them? Just do it. Like I, I, um, I knew that was going to be your answer. I know. I know. I know that sounds really like generic, but, but it um, works. No, and that's that's what I would have said, too, for somebody asking me that question. I well. looked at every opportunity that I passed because I was always sort of a shy person, and I wasn't really outgoing until I 
hit drinking age. Uh, but I've only known you since you hit drinking <laughs> age, so I can't imagine it. But no, and I was a really quiet kid, and I think of all the opportunities I missed out on because I was so, um, I wouldn't say insecure, but I just didn't really like people for a while. If I would have just collaborated and started earlier, I think of how that would have influenced me once I got a little bit older. Or, you know, not even do it. I, I'd say initiate it. Get other people together. Host your own shows. You know, it, it, I think we look at these people that have these venues and we're like, oh, man, it's so cool that you do that. I want to have a show, you know, at your venue or this band's doing something. No, be that person. Do it yourself. You know, rally the rest. Like, it's, it's something that's much easier to do than we make it out to be. Awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. I, um... Did you want to plug your Instagram or no? It's up to you. It's not built up enough. If, if you want to check it out, it's um, Scrub Art, S-K-R-U-B Art on Instagram. No underscore? No underscore. Okay. And uh, on that note, also check us out on Facebook where I'm all over this podcast. iTunes, I'm all over this podcast. Um, maybe eventually we'll have a Twitter or Instagram, but not yet. We should be coming to Stitcher and Google Play soon as well. Want to introduce the next one? Yeah. All right. The next section, we're going to talk about uh, things that we're all over. It's basically just stuff that we're uh, into right now. So um, I'll go first. Okay. You go first most of the time because I'm not prepared. Okay. I'm actually prepared this time. Good. We're going to do one and a half here. Both are comic books. Ah, two. Two. Uh, I do want to plug Kingdom Come. We talked about it earlier. It's Alex Ross, Mark Wade. It's a Superman story. Well, it's a Just League story, but it ends up being a Superman story. Uh, it takes place in the future. Superman retires. A big explosion happens. He comes out of retirement and arrests everybody. It's pretty fun. It's um, hand-painted front to back. It's beautiful. Even if you're not a comic book reader, it's actually the book that got me reading comics again in high school. I love it. Uh, another thing, on a previous episode, I talked about my favorite author, Christopher Moore, um, on my plug. But I'm going to talk about him again because he's a book called Sacre Blue, and I think it fits this episode well. It's about... Um, the artists in, uh, I guess it would be Italy or France. I don't remember now. France. Duh, it's called Sacre Blue. Um, it's like Monet and all those guys, those real artists from that time, Toulouse and um, Van Gogh, all those guys. And it's, it's just fictional adventure that they go through. And there's a lot, because of the way Christopher Moore writes, a lot of history and knowledge into that book about their lives. So, the story is fictional, but the art they're creating is real. It really was made, and their history of their lives is real. <clears throat> so you can read this story, and it fits into the narrative of their lives, even though it never happened. And it's a great way to learn about these artists from that era in a fun way that doesn't feel like you're reading a history book. This is my two. Okay. So what are you all over? Um, right now, I'm really into um, Funko. Pops, um, just now. a company called uh, Pop in a Box. Uh, it's like a mailing order, like a loot crate, uh, but you get um, up to six pops a month. I only get two. It's what I pay for. Um, but I get two uh, Funko products in the month, um, every month, and it's cool. You can get to go through and rate them, too. So yeah, you they get thumbs you don't up. Want. They'll give you the same stuff you've had So you don't before. get My Little Pony if you don't want it. Yeah. Which is which Taylor definitely wants. Yeah, I definitely want get a whole all my little, whole little ponies. It's right behind Amber's head. Especially Rainbow Dash. Rainbow Dash. Yeah. I like Applejack. She's my favorite. 
Brownies for life. <laughs> uh, another thing I want to talk about is um, the show Dexter. We've been watching it, uh, mm-hmm. Lauren and I have. You mean the two good seasons of the show Dexter? I'm, I just finished the first two seasons. There's the only two good ones. <laughs> so I'm about to start season three. Don't mean to rain on your parade. Um, but, um, so far, it's pretty good. I've enjoyed it. Um, yeah. It's a good show. If you like, uh, if you like a kid in his laboratory. Yeah, I do like and his annoying laboratory. sister. For sure. And Mandark. Mandark. Ah. <laughs> All, All right. right. That's the show. Thank you, Amber. Thank you, Taylor. (laughs) And thank you, me. Bye. Bye. Shallow